Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Foles to talk about how they wrote, recorded, and produced the album Life Is Yours. Foles are a British rock band consisting of frontman and lead guitarist Yanis Philippakis, rhythm guitarist Jimmy Smith, and drummer Jack Bevan. The band formed in the mid-2000s as a five-piece, including keyboardist Edwin Congreve and bassist Walter Gervers, all meeting while playing in different groups across the Oxford music scene. Drawing influences from their varied musical past, their left-field sound caught the attention of Transgressive Records, who signed them for the release of their 2008 debut album Antidotes, reaching number three on the UK album charts. With the band continuing to increase their musical ambition and emotion with each release, their next three albums, Total Life Forever in 2010, Holy Fire in 2013, and 2015's What Went Down, each certified gold and earned two Mercury Prize nominations. In 2019, following Walter's departure, they released the two-part album Everything Not Saved Will Be Lost. It saw the band named Best British Group at the 2020 Brit Awards, with part two scoring them their first UK number one. Alongside their studio albums, Foles have developed a reputation as one of the UK's great live bands. Headlining festivals around the world, they've released several live EPs, a full-length concert film at the Royal Albert Hall, and a behind-the-scenes documentary, Rip Up the Road. With COVID putting the brakes on any touring plans and now working as a three-piece, Paul's latest album, Life Is Yours, is the group's first time collaborating with multiple producers. Sharing the studio with John Hill, Dan Carey, AK Paul and Miles James, the album sees them react to a world locked down by conjuring the joy and euphoria of the party. Today, I'm at Spitfire Audio in Tallyard, North London, and I'm joined by Yanis and Jimmy from the band. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is the sound. It is the sound by Foles from the album Life Is Yours, and I'm very pleased to say that I am sat with Jimmy and Yanis from Foles here at Spitfire Audio. Great to see you both. Nice to see you too. Yeah, nice to see you. So we're going to dig into Life Is Yours. It's very exciting. Um, And before we hear the first song we're going to look at, Wild Green, when you approached this album, what were you thinking? Um, I think we were thinking, we were thinking basically like how can we regroup i'd say after uh, making everything not saved will be lost it was like so such a big process and such a broad one and then obviously like our touring was was stopped it was kind of truncated by the pandemic and then i think um we wanted to just to reconfigure and make something like smaller in some way more like focused and lighter i mean Definitely there was like an early conversation about making a dancier record that didn't have like heavy rock textures on it or heavy rock guitars. 
yeah. and then making like a white record, you know, like in terms of like the artwork, it feeling light and bright. and Yeah, there were always like keywords right at the beginning before we even got in the room, clean and white and like simple almost and not so much of like a journey that you get to the end of the album and you're exhausted, you know. So yeah, it was one of the first times we actually sat down, you know, we, we, we used albums like... Um, Weezer's Blue album, we keep using as an example, but just stuff that's like, uh, that lives in its own little world. And, you know, you can listen to it on a surface level if you want when you're drying your hair, or, you, you know, you can dig deeper and there is depth to it. And I feel like, you know, we came, it's the closest we've come to kind of realizing like criteria that we've set for ourselves. So, yeah. Yeah. Did this relate at all to Edwin leaving and are you trimming yeah. down to a three yeah, piece think, with Jack? Yeah, I think it did actually. You know, we, it just happened that way, you know, it's just like Edwin left right before we started writing this album and there was just three of us. So it's like, you know, there was one less instrument playing in the room every time, you know, two less really, because there's no bass either. So it was weird, you know, it's just three instruments and we had to pick and choose. Like Yanis would play bass or guitar, I'd play keys or guitar and Jack would always play drums and yeah, it led to a simplicity. So it changed the dynamic and led to a simpler approach through necessity. But yeah. also maybe that opened things up. Yeah, I, f- I do feel it all sort of happened at the right time. <laughs> you know, all these different things happening, the pandemic, Edwin leaving, us being a three-piece, you, know, you name it, me taking more of an interest in keyboards. There's all these different factors going on. And then it really did feel like, you know, it was quite clear where we were headed when we started playing, yeah. So yeah. we're going to look at some specific songs. The first one we're going to look at is Wild Green, which is the, the closer to the record. So we're going to start at the end. Yeah. In a way. Where, <laughs> yeah. where, where does this fit in the whole evolution of the record? It was one of the last things to be written, I think, or like towards the end. And it was written around an arpeggio that Jimmy had on a synth. So Jimmy was buying lots of synths. Like it was insane to watch. It's not that insane. It's, it's, it, it's my job. No, I know. But it was the, the, it's, the like re- a, it's like someone going to you know, the tool shop and buying a load of new drills. Yeah. It was amazing. I mean, it was, there was a new like analog like, you know, a vintage classic synth arriving, like one a week, pretty much. And like one would get fired up and then would barely get in the room and another one would be there. And it'd be like, it would have supplanted the one from before. But I'm not sure which, on Wild Green, what the art, was it just, the, oh, ironically, it's, the, it's, it's the just mini written log. the mini, yeah, mini yeah. log, right? Yeah, um, fantastic is, keyboard. Yeah. But yeah, so basically there was an arpeggio and I think, you know, we'd been working on stuff. I find like when we're in the room, you know, we'll spend maybe four days working on a couple of things quite intensively and it will be kind of, there'll be an element of work to it. And then we like to just have time to just jam basically. And so this was definitely something that came out of a jam. It wasn't intended to be a song, um, but it felt really good. And we, and we actually played it for a long time. I've got, I record everything on my phone when we're in the rooms and with Wild Green, it was called Sound System at the beginning because it was, it just felt like we were playing to some sort of sound system of some type. But yeah, we would be playing it for about, you know, half an hour, 35 minutes. There'd be 35 minute long phone recordings and there'd be little bass lines. Jack was playing along and it just felt really good. And then that, that was it in its early infancy, basically. Shall we hear it, how it was completed, just so that people know yeah. what the master sounds like?
It is Wild Green by Foles. That's how it sounds on the record. We're going to discover how they got there. So purchase of a new synthesizer was kind of the lead-in. Did that mean you got it out of the package, you fire it up, you press a button, and then a new idea springs into your mind? Well, yeah, pretty much on this one, except it wasn't one of the new ones. It was um, just a kind of synth we've had lying around for a few albums. (laughs) It's it's like the most basic synthesizer. It's, It's one of the best. This mini log thing. Loads of bands have got them, and they're great. They're great things to have. But yeah, it was it was um, sort of plug it in, and I I quite like because um, synths are quite complicated. I like just having quite a random approach to them, especially with arpeggios like that, and just sort of like program in a load of random notes and see if it makes any sense. And that was one of them where it was just like, oh, it's so, it's, I was like, instantly it sounds really French. I thought I was like, that's a really right. French arpeggio. And it was just great. And then literally just hit play and it just ran for hours. We jammed all over it. Are you able to play that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's this one. Obviously, that's got a bit of reverb on it. Because that also reminds me of, say, Frankie Knuckles or, or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it when that happens. You're just like, you know, that was so random and uh, I would never be able to make it again. I'm sure someone musical could figure out what's going <laughs> on. But what, like, you know, we didn't recreate it. Like, no, didn't it's the same one. So, it's just, this has been processed by Dan Kerry. Yeah. So it's got, you can hear like the reverb trails and stuff. He put it through some modular, modular yeah, units like, that he's got, but it is the original arpeggio from the very first day that we jammed it. And mm. A lot of that stuff you hear of those reverbs, they're, they're slightly side-chaining and when you record with Dan, all manner of things are side-chaining and moving up and down, left and right. All that stuff you can hear gives it a much more organic feel and he, he'd be doing that live with us. Right. Yeah, you know, this is quite an easy performance for me. I just had to hit play. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that so you, you'd, you'd found that or created that and then you jam along with that. The three of you would just kind of yeah. have that on in the background and pick up whatever instrument and then just start seeing, yeah. seeing where it took you. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we were both playing guitar over it and then I would probably be putting on a pog pedal to do the bass. I mean, what I remember about the first time we were playing this was just like that the arpeggio felt like pretty and it felt like bucolic. It felt, I don't know, like felt quite natural. It felt like a missing piece in the record. But yeah, we we would just play the guitars over it. And, and I think the guitars actually kind of interestingly are some of the most like folsy guitars you know, they're very much like we, we allowed the guitars just to be like exactly the way we play or people yeah. think of the way that we play. Let me just try and find those guitars we're speaking of. And with the, that's effectively the sound of the rehearsal room. Yeah. Right at the beginning. And yeah. so is that Yanis playing the guitar there? That's, that's yeah, both that's me both and Yanis all in one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. apparently. Because in my mind, you know, when I visualise a picture of Foles playing together, it's the two of you playing guitar like that. Yeah, kind interlocking, of yeah. 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 So that it was just, you know, we played it probably, it was quite formless as well. Like we just, we didn't even think about structures or I think because of the arp rolling the whole time, it allowed the song just to be this like one hypnotic moment that was evolving, but it wasn't prey to like, you know, more conventional song structures. And we didn't really think about it that way. And so 
we would just be playing some guitar. Jack was just holding a beat down and then I would sing occasionally and then stop. And we kind of, I think the point is, is like we kind of let it be very fluid and very open and free. And, it, you know, both the actual musical ingredients within the song are very free. And then I think our approach to treating those ingredients was also quite free. Mm. Yeah, it's like a pulsing living organism yeah. that um, is kind of just moving all the time. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the bass. Are you able to play that? So the bass that's actually on the record was done at Dan's. Dan's got some mad like basses. He's got some interesting. It's pretty. Uh, I remember. I think this was the hollow body. He's got like a hollow yeah, body Gibson bass that is. Um, pretty, it's also just sort of quite out of tune out. in a cool way. But yeah, the bass line actually we kind of did at Dan's. It's quite different from the bass line that I was initially playing in the room. And I, it was pretty much one take. One thing that's really pleasant with recording with Dan is that lots of things, you, you work very quickly, it's very intuitive. He, he captures performances and then um, you kind of leave him to edit things later. There's no, you're not sat there for hours waiting for somebody to fix the intonation on the bass guitar or to get the mic. You know, there's a real spontaneous feeling to recording with, with Dan. And I think you can hear it in this track that just ideas were thrown in and there was an organic evolution of stuff. And it's kind of, it's like you apply the paint quickly to the canvas and then you you stand back and either you like what you see or you don't, but you're not going to, you're not there pre-analyzing. Yeah or pre-planning, you're in the moment. So, and you applied the same approach that you were taking um, when you were jamming it in your rehearsal space, then reapplied that when you went to Dan's studio, was it Dan's studio in, yeah. in Streatham that yeah. um, you, you did the recording in? Because I know that you, you worked with a few different producers and you recorded in a few different places according to what songs demanded it and uh, you know, what songs needed. Yeah, and also where the producers lived, right. you know. Dictated yeah. it. Yeah. So Streatham, you go Streatham, to Streatham. Streatham. Which is nice because it's not that far from Beckham. Yeah, yeah actually, for once it was in South London. Uh, also, isn't yeah. this one of the only tracks where we didn't really, this didn't, this was Dan and then some John Hill, but it was mainly done with Dan. Yeah, this is definitely the closest to like what, to exactly what was happening in Dan's studio. Yeah, yeah. like it wasn't worked on, you know, lots of the other songs would have been worked on with Dan and then, or with Miles James and then with, you know, there was more, um, you know, collaborations between us and the producers on within individual tracks. So this is mostly the product of this one day with Dan. And it wasn't tinkered with really that much. We retracked some guitars at Real World with John, definitely. We got into some quite a lot of guitar tracking that we'll get into that's cool. But yeah, largely it was with Dan. It was done very quickly. And um, we really felt like we needed a song like this on the album because because of how direct and... You know, in certain ways, straightforward, some of the other songs on the record were to have this quite like wild. I mean, why partly why it's called Wild Dream is because it's got this kind of unkempt, you know, it's not tidy, like purposefully. It's like it's like a like a meadow that you've not mowed. Yeah. Let nature do its thing in the song. Yeah. So it's your equivalent of No Mo May. Yeah, um, it is. That's kind of that's literally record. what I was just thinking about. <laughs> of what? No, no Mo, Mo May. What's so that? Not meant to mow your lawn in May. Yeah. Oh, right. So all the wild ingredients <laughs> well, can grow up. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I'd love to hear more of it. I mean, we're, we're, in a way, as a Foles fan, the idea of just being able to listen to 30 minutes of you three jamming away in a studio would be kind of heaven. Yeah. You know, because I love the way that you play together and the, those 
kind of ingredients, you know, in the the way you interact. It I is, find it really exciting. It's a lot of fun to do as well, yeah. definitely. I think we do play for ages. We don't really realise how long we've been playing the same thing for. Um, Sometimes it's quite, there's, a, there's an element of being in Folds where you have to sort of resign yourself to some of the magic that happens in those afternoons and in those phone recordings. We'll never be able to make it into the final record. You know, I think that like some of the greatest things we've ever done will never be in the final songs yeah. and, and never be really capturable. And that could either be a regret or something special that is Private. one of the reasons why you are in a band together. No. Yeah. I think it all goes into the same pie, doesn't it, really? Mm. Just all those lost ideas. <laughs> also, they'll come back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Should I play a bit of the... I've got this called... This is called Last Sound System Vox, which is it was one of the last times we jammed it in the writing room in Peckham. So you were calling it Sound System... At yeah, that point. it was yeah. called Sound System just because it felt like we were playing to this kind of organic, self-generating box that was, you know, which was the arpeggio. The arpeggio was the sound system. You can hear how different that sounds. <laughs> it's the same synth. Yeah. But there's a real freedom to be able to just play it, you know, and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you can kind of hear the bass slide in the, actually in the arpeggio there. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. So I remember loving that part, and then that never made it into the actual. Also, we do we like to sneak ideas that didn't make it onto the record back in live. <laughs> right. It's quite fun doing that. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Or if you're just like, I actually know what, I prefer that part, so I'm just going to do that. <laughs> the vocal line is sort of different as well. I think, you know, with, with something like this, this was still very much... I think even when we took it into Dan's, it wasn't formed in the way that some of the other songs were. This one, the song called The Sound, a couple of them were left sort of purposefully a little bit with their... You know, the feathers were still on the bird that hadn't fully been, like, you know, prepped. Yeah. Um, and some of those things were just sort of ironed out then. But that sounds like an ideal scenario for Dan Carey. Yeah, yeah that, yes. that Dan would have been next after that, basically. I think that was our final mm-hmm. rendition of that in the practice room. And, right. yeah, that, and would you have played that to him? Or Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we would, we would send stuff like that to the producers on, on any of the tracks. I mean, the thing that this we haven't got to yet is that, obviously, this is that's the kind of first part of the song, is based around that arp. But then what happened one day when we were jamming was Jack basically started to do a half-speed beat. I think we even faded the arpeggio out and we got into this much more meditative guitar-led part of the song, which became the second part of the song, which is really where the song kind of elevated from just being a jam to being like something where you go, okay, you can hear the album closing like this because we moved from this kind of radiant, shimmering, looping, spring-like piece of music and then it starts to dissolve and become more meditative and kind of layers of it fall away and it becomes more plaintive. You know, it's like you go from that kind of the spring, the no mo may or whatever into actually into autumn. <laughs> no and mo may. I can't believe this thing I've just heard. <laughs> How, does everyone know I that? did it. 
I did it actually. I, I mean, I, yeah. I didn't. Mind. Yeah. yeah, did you? Yeah, we we did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, good. It can be really cool. You know, in that things that you wouldn't know exist come up. And um, yeah, it's for insects. Yeah. Tell yeah. my neighbor about it. Yeah, it's he's to help the insects. Fascinated with his lawn. He planted it last year and he's furiously mowing it. <laughs> it's, quite, it's a British obsession of lawn, isn't it? It, it yeah. is a bit, yeah. Um, but yeah, so should we check this? Yeah, I'd love to, to hear that bit that you were talking about. Second half. So this is sort of where the guitars move. All that like reverb side chaining Dan's going heavy on there. There goes the arpeggio there. Yeah. Fading out. Yeah, and we changed drum kits for this section. Right. And we did some cool stuff in, in real world. So we'd sketched the guitars out of Dan's here. So these guitars re recorded? Or are they Dan's ones? I think we re recorded them because they were tuning was scuffed. So John Hill was in the studio with us at Real World and we set up two Selma cool like Zodiacs Selmas and did some fun guitar stereo panning and um, we put the vocal through a Leslie, uh, an actual proper old Leslie rotary speaker which was super fun. We did a couple of takes of that oh, that's in, that's in the main that. control room. Maybe we should hear those guitar parts as well. Yeah, should we hear the guitars yeah. on their own? We got two guitars there. I think that's me. Oh, I didn't realise I made it onto that bit of the song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, why dog? Yeah, it's cool. And then some sort of the vocals through the Leslie. Which is just like such a good trick. Yeah. It always sounds good. I think Alt J did that quite a lot on their new record. Right. I love it. Yeah, and then there's a clean vocal, I think, there and there. But it was cool just doing it, putting it through, and, uh, and actually getting an actual old Leslie fired up and stuff. One of my favorite moments on this as well was doing like getting to do lots of BVs. Generally on Life Is Yours, like, got to do lots of. BVs and come up with them in in the room and stuff and like one of the kind of prettiest bits I think on the whole record is this bit I think it's yeah before the actual lyrics come in in the kind of middle in the bit where uh, this bit here the BVs yeah are all the BVs you Dennis? uh yeah pretty much Yeah, all the BVs tend to be. They used to be what Walter used to do some. Yeah, it just makes a nice tapestry between that and the guitars and then, the, yeah. It's really interesting hearing the isolated elements because they suggest so many different directions you could go in and yeah. so many different kind of sounds that you could create you know, in terms of genre or style. And yet, when you put them all together, 
No, you've got something else. Yeah, I mean, this almost yeah, sounds Gregorian. All, yeah. Yes, it does. yeah, totally. And hearing the rotate the you know, the Leslie vocal, mm. you know, it sounds so psych and so yeah. you know, 60s. It's quite paisley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could be like Pentangle or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pendragon. <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll put them all together and round off the song yeah. and then we can move on from Wild Green. Within the song, it's almost like it descends and then it descends slowly through to the end of the record. Yeah, it's just the song kind of winds itself down a little bit. And you can see it on the session, like the peak of the album, and then it all fades away, which is like, you know, the, the wave rolling back kind of thing. Yeah, it's cool to feel like each sonic layer kind of fell away and then you end up with this kind of just the sound of the room, basically. It's like the clattering of the mics around the Leslie and somebody turning off a delay pedal and then there's like somebody coughing. And You're in the control room, that real world, basically, and all of the music has gone back to wherever it came from. Yeah, like these noises, I love. That swirling Leslie. Bit of an ominous way, way yeah. to finish. <laughs> But yeah, all the noises. There's just some reverse bells we did at Dan's, I think, actually. Yeah, and then there's somebody's seat creaking. Yeah, it's just a creaky seat. Yeah. Someone doing the washing up in the background. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's a very human way to end a record. Yeah, very much so. That sounds great. That is Wild Green. We're going to look at 2001. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a moment. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. 
The next song we're going to look at from the new album by Foles, Life Is Yours, is 2001. And if Jimmy could play us the master, that would be brilliant. It is. It's so good, though. So that's a little taste of 2001, which is another dimension to the record in a way. Different from Wild Green. Yeah. I mean, the whole album has this wonderful funkiness about it. Mm-hmm. And and that guitar sound there is a sound that is filtered, particularly in the first half of the record, you know, that it taps in or mutates around that kind of sound quite a lot, which is which is also a version of, of your guitar sound. But yeah. it also seems to link to other things as well, be it chic or other funky yeah. things that have come and gone through the eras. Which is great. It's another little twist to what foals do, I think, and a, yeah. a, in a more direct method of communication. Yeah, I mean, we definitely wanted to like keep the guitars drier. Mm. I think that you know we wanted to get away from some of the effects or the amount of effects we'd used in the past, and that was both from the rehearsal room where we were writing. We kind of had less effects. You, you I don't think you even had any pedal set up, pretty much, right? No, I, I made myself plug straight into the amp. Because it was, I don't know, I just thought it'd be, a, it's a really easy way to keep things simple. Because <laughs> pedals, I mean, you can tell a pedally record. Yeah. Some of them can be a little bit too pedally, I feel like. So, also, there's yeah. so many options now with pedals, and, and pedals have become really complicated as well, which is cool for some of them. But yeah. you can really, you know, with some of the more, we wanted some parameters. So, one of them was let's reduce the pedal. Um, Obviously, you can introduce sonic textures and pedals and effects as you go into the studio, but perhaps when we're in the writing room and we're trying to write a drier and tighter and more focused record, maybe not having like slatherings of, of reverb yeah. and, and, you know. Also, like those sounds very early on can pigeonhole a track maybe before it's ready to be pigeonholed. And, you know, it just makes sense to turn up to, say, someone like Dan's studio with just like a bare bones guitar. So then you can use all the, all the cool stuff he's got. You know, and then yeah. he can, which is what he was doing. You can apply these reverbs and textures that actually fit in with the vibe of the song. You know, you know and, and then you're meeting a producer halfway, and I think you're going there. You, you've written the the musical components, but the producer's allowed to then produce the song. Whereas if you come in and you're already attached to a, some a Strymon pedal or an, or some yeah, type of pedal, yeah. the producer's always fighting this kind of version of the song that you've encroached on. So I think we liked the idea partly because we knew we were going to be working with lots of different producers and we didn't want to overcomplicate things. I think just us kind of, you know, making sure that a song worked in its basic form without a reliance on the sonic textures. So, you know, it could sound good just skeletally and dry. And 2001 is an example of something where it was, to be fair, the only effect that I uh, that I was using was this sort of quack, the quack, the quack pedal. We call it the quacker. Um, I was using a Prometheus pedal, but it, you know anything that's kind of like an auto wire of some type or like um, low pass filter. But yeah, we it was almost kind of slightly tongue in cheek. Um, the original um, jam that I had with Jack, 
I kind of was, I was just putting this pedal on to sort of make Jack laugh. But then, but then um, should I play a bit? Yeah, do, that'd be great. Um, but then, um, and then it kind of stuck around and I th- we thought like, oh, you know, in small doses, it could be okay. And then when we went to actually record the track in more depth with AK Paul, he actually found a way to kind of use the quacker, but keep it very, he like, he'd allow a split second of the quack. We'll get into that, I guess. Yeah, you can hear it, the split second. Yeah. I mean, the song starts with it, but yeah, he. he I think the the thing with the quack is that if you just slather something with quack, you know, you're on a you're on a duck hunt. But <laughs> but if you if you keep it there, you know, it's confit duck. It's all right, confit duck canard. Yeah. So this is the original. Jam. So this is yeah. This is basically yeah. This is the original. Just the two. Jam. Just you. This and is Jack. just me and Jack because Jimmy's in America at this point, and and it was just meant to be fun. So that's the quack. Yeah, that's, that's the, quack. the quack. Yeah. And Jack is sort of grinning at right, this point. Right, right. And, so I, you, and I'm been... sort of cringing and grinning. Right. So you achieved your goal. You got yeah. a smile on his face. Yeah. <laughs> but then you started to really like the sound. And also to be, I mean, the, this is as this part is being written. And I remember thinking, oh, this is actually feels like a great. And then this is, this was the original vocals. Singing into a microphone. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. singing into yeah. a mic, but into an amp. Yeah, and then this is recorded on my phone. And just on the phone. Yeah, yeah so this yeah. is my iPhone yeah. just sat on the side of the room. And here you can kind of hear actually this is quite similar to the verse vocals now. Mm. We're playing to a loop, so I'm I like to use the loop head a lot. And the loop had been around for a few years. And it's interesting, like you can stock up a load of loops and they're either inspiring to you at a certain point in time or not. But I like to come back to things because you never, like, without having written this vocal line and these extra guitar parts, this loop, the song would never have happened. Mm. But equally, you could approach and be like, well, that loop is two years old. Why should we. Good bit that. Yeah, we should have. <laughs> it's not in the song anymore. We'll do it uh, live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's interesting being like, I quite like revisiting old things, like old ideas, because I never would have written that vocal line at the time when the loop was written. But, mm. but when you revisit something a few years later, you find new ways into it. So, so there's a lot of quack in there. Yeah, so AK would just be like, just try some bits, but he worked in an interesting fashion because he uses Reaper. And he would set you up on very, very tight, looped recording cycles. So he'd be like, right, in this point of the song, we're going to put you here and you can do as much quacking as you want, but you're layering, the, you're layering up. And this wasn't just for the quacks. This was for a variety <laughs> of ideas. Lots of sort of micro hooks and different ideas that where normally it would overload a song. His way of dealing with it was just to allow you a split second or a couple of seconds to put in your idea and it becomes a sonic detail rather than overlayering four or five overdubs through a track or through a verse. And I thought that that was, particularly with our way of, of writing and recording, it was actually, it was perfect because often we have too many ideas for a song and a lot of the struggle is like, how do we respect the song but also get across these ideas that are really cool? And AK's answer to it, which was weird that we've never thought of it before, was just to be like, okay, if you've got six extra overdubs, you're allowed all six, 
but they're only for literally a bar. You get one bar in, in verse two, one yeah. bar in verse three, one bar at the end of chorus. And that, if you listen through 2001, there's all these little tiny sonic hooks that happen once where if we were left-handed as I says, there'd be whole extra guitar parts. Really interesting. It would be brilliant to be able to go through some of those as they run through the track. Yeah. Well, these are the main guitars. So A, there's a, a quack starts the track. Right. So he, yeah. la- he allowed one at the beginning. So this is the original loop, I think, with the quacks. So that's another one there, the sort of princey thing. Another quack there. That's another part there that I would have probably added. You know, whack the drums in the... Yeah. That, that's another one there. Yeah. You know, so he would just basically like encourage us to put all these ideas in but he was strict with it yeah and it's not too tied to a grid either so they come as nice surprises exactly yeah they poke out yeah but yeah they're all tightly packed in together yeah I like like AK's thing he was like every chorus should be different he was like everything should all the song should always be even if it's not that noticeable there should always be something else going on Yes, if you listen to each chorus, there's a different new melodic idea in each of the three choruses. So that's now me and Yanis on guitar. That's the AK on synth. Uh, The other interesting thing, I think, you know, um, he's got lots of unusual gear and kind of unfashionable gear in certain ways, lots of digital stuff from the 90s, digital processors, samplers, digital synths. And, you know, it it was interesting because we obviously kind of come from the view that, you know, we just come from the world where like the desired instrument or or synth or piece of equipment would be analogue. And I think partly because of the amount of imitators that have been of AK's production sound and writing style and his brothers, like I think that there's it's like to throw people off the scent. So you end up with these very different sonic textures, largely because they have to be one step ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah. We should explain that AK Paul is Jay Paul's brother. Yes. Um, just in yes. case people aren't aware. It, it turns out was really heavily involved in the production of all those records too. Yeah. It's quite interesting watching him work and you're like, oh. Like some of the guitar sounds, you're like, oh, that's, that's yeah. how you do it. Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And how did you get to work with AK? Um, I email. I managed to get his email like in 2013. It was at the end of Holy Fire, and we were writing what went down. And I, I'm, I mean, I was just like we were all massive fans of like that, you know, everything they were doing. And um, I think Land Cruise and had come out by AK, which was just such an awesome track and had an amazing production. And I dropped him an email and was like, Hey, you know, would you be interested in working with us? And and I got a fairly, fairly sort of terse response, which was like, <laughs> yeah, no, nah, thanks, but no thanks. You know, rock on, man. Right. And there was definitely like the, the sign off to the email was yeah. like a rock on, like keep rocking in the free world, uh, which I kind of, I kind of liked. And I, and it also didn't really surprise me in certain ways because also we, you know, we were, we were writing rock songs at the time mm. anyway. I mean, as in, you know, what went down was about to come out, but kind of looped back around on this record. And sent him, we sent him a phone recording of Looking High, 
we sent him this and we sent him wake me up um and he just wanted to work on this one so he, he just said i think 2001 sounds cool do you want to come and try it with us and we'd recorded the drums with miles james we'd done like a demo session with miles james i think we sent him the miles demos i think yeah and so we went in with drums relatively tracked right do you ever listen to those yeah and these are the miles um drums, drums. we didn't re-record them so these were done at conk in miles james's room he built a little tiki bar what we called a tiki bar it was like a little drum booth made out of sort of screens and curtains but it was very it was like it looked like a tiki bar <laughs> and jack was in there and just Did very dry <laughs> yeah i wish <laughs> but miles james is, an, is a master of i mean we could do a whole chat about the drum sounds and the amount of time that went into tuning the drums and the dryness of the drums like mm. if you're looking for drum 70s drum tones miles james is your absolute guy he's just amazing So you kept those drums? We kept the drums and then basically we went into AK Paul's studio, which is a small but awesome little little room near us. And we spent two days in there and we just tracked everything over the top. And AK himself played the bass. He wrote some of the bass and doubled it all up on oh, bass synth. synth. Right. They did it very quickly. Was that original drum break there? Was that part of the Miles James session, or was that the little fill? Thing? Yeah, yeah. No, AK chopped that. Oh, right. oh I did. Yeah, oh, AK yeah. Edit, edited those things. Yeah. So Jack had fills, but AK would manipulate fills. Yeah. And re-edit them to make things sometimes stranger or poke out. Yeah, because as you go through the track near the end of the track, there's a bit more of that. Yes. And then as you transition into Summer Sky, that's kind of used as a as a way of transitioning into Summer yeah. Sky. That the kind of Extended 12-inch mix of 2001. Yeah, should we go towards the end? Yeah, let's go towards the end. There's some fun stuff that kicks off there. some fun stuff. Oh, yeah, all this stuff with Miles. Cool synths. But, yeah, so this this one is definitely Miles James and A.K. Paul and John Hill production job. Right, so three different minds. Three different different places. Yeah. All bringing their own... A reaction, really, to yeah, the to song. the source material. Yeah, and, and that I, they were all excited by in different ways. Yeah, so all three of them had heard a demo that they were all excited by, and, and honestly, there was aspects of the demo that were more like Turkish. I remember thinking about, um, is it Selda Turkish prog? Yeah, I think it's she's called Selda. But anyway, yeah, there's some yeah. Turkish prog stuff. Yeah. But I remember like Miles really reacted well to 2001. AK obviously did. John Hill did. And so they, they all had versions of in their head of what the song was. But then also, by the time that AK was working on the track, Miles had had a sort of pop at it, as mm. it were. And then by the time John came to Real World, the song was, you know, fairly fleshed out. But John's still got to do things to it. So you have, not only are they all reacting to the same original song, but they're reacting to each other. It's doing like an exquisite corpse right. production vibe, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the results speak for themselves. They sound great. Let's hear some uh, twinkly bits. This be the breakdown. This is a mixture of AK synths and Miles' synths and your synths. Yeah, it's all three of us synthing. <laughs> <laughs> 
and that was a guitar part originally. So there's guitars and we've got moved to synths and to vocals. If you put the BBs in it, it gets there's some BBs in there that are cool. Yeah. And that's you, Yanis. Yeah, that's me. That's just me singing falsetto. It's interesting because I think with this record, there's a kind of almost a softer style to your voice. It seems as if it's lower in the mix, but it's maybe not as projecting as it might be when you're doing the heavier rock stuff. But yeah, it's, I mean, the only thing to say on this record is that like, I stack the vocals a lot. There's probably yeah. there's a get, lot of vocals stacked. Should we get more going? Yeah. It's loud, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think even the lead's in there, though. There's a lot more harmonies going on. There's an old chorus. Yeah. 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 And AKA was encouraging about trying to do more harmonies and um, on this definitely and had harmonic ideas that I wouldn't have had that would probably come from more of an like an R and B approach. Yeah. But yeah, definitely singing, allowing myself to sing. I mean, I've sung songs falsetto before, like Spanish Sahara and stuff like that as a falsetto. And But there's definitely more on this record. And it's probably the first time where I've sung falsetto more delicately over more upbeat tracks. Mm. Often the delicacy in the voice has been in combination with a delicate song, whereas now it's kind of got more of that Bee Gees vibe going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> I keep visualizing a kind of... Bohemian Rhapsody style video with you know multiple Yanises. Yeah, all the voices. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, Could dressed be. as the Gibbs. Yes, that was terrifying. <laughs> <That'd> be, yeah, <laughs> a lot of chest great. hair, a lot of medallions. So it's great the way that you know the encounters with these different people brings out different aspects of your musical interests in a way. And I love the idea that you know somebody's reaction can take it in another direction, but it still remains foals and it's still running with your ideas and your initial yeah. uh, creation. Like, well, like the end of 2001 is a good, um, mm, good yeah. example. Summer Sky is on the record. It's been separated off, but it's the same song. And that, is, that really shows Miles, I think, because he, he's all over the song with his drum sound. But like um, the outro, if I'm, it's quite hard to remember where stuff happened, but I yeah. feel like he was present and he, you guys came up with this sort of West Coast feeling outro. Yeah, that was in Peckham. Yeah, that was in Peckham. So he, I don't think we would have, it would have sounded anything like this if he hadn't been involved. Yeah. yeah the other th- the thing with Miles as well is like his, so it, alongside capturing amazing drum sounds is, is his attention to groove and to the feel of the rhythm was something where, you know, we thought that we paid attention to tempos and grooves up until now. And working with Miles, you realise that you can go deeper and deeper yeah. into the nuances and the inflections and the feels and the like micro the micro sensitivity to groove. And if you get that right at the beginning, then you're set up and a song can really fly in a way where if you don't get that right at the beginning, it's ne- you're never going to have that amazing feel. Yeah. You know, no matter what you add on later, it has to be right 
at the very beginning. And I think Miles was, it was sort of next level ninja stuff yeah. that Miles was doing there with deciding about the feel of a take and a feel of, of a rhythm. And how did Jack respond to that? Was he, he in loved his it. element? Yeah. yeah, he loved yeah. it. Yeah, because I don't know, it's just, it's nice for someone playing the drums to get that sort of attention and level of detail. I feel like sometimes, these, especially with the reliance on these sort of DAW things, drums can get brushed over quite quickly. You know, a lot of like, oh, we'll fix that later. We'll, we'll make that sound really, really 70s later on, you know, and it's like, no, no, no. We're going to do that first, <laughs> which for everyone else sucks because you have to wait for two days to do anything else. But it just means you have the field is already there, you know, and everything that can then be put on top of it is in the right template. It's uh, shown the best on this outro, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, let's hear All it. Right. And that, that bit, is that an edit? Or no, is that's that, Jack, that Jack right. did that. Because when I was listening to you, I was wondering whether that was Yeah, a, Jack just did a double snare yeah, hit there. Yeah. And again. But this is basically us having a jam with AK Miles. Right. But not at the same time. Yeah. Does it carry on? Is there a much, much longer version? I mean, obviously on the album, the outro... Well, the summer sky section is like 30, 40 seconds long. I mean... Uh, that's about... No, no that's it. That was right. it. That was about it. Because I when mean, I've been listening to it... I, you want more. I, I want more, definitely. I mean, if you come to a show, John... Yeah, yeah. We jam also, it out you know, They used to do these extended 12-inch remixes of stuff that would basically be that... And it was almost as if then they'd extend that for another two yeah, minutes. Maybe or we something. should do that. I'd really like to, you know, you can do that thing where you could get a 12 inch, you could release this on 12 inch, and then there'd be a groove at the end of the the record and it would, just, it would just loop it forever. Yeah. You know, which could be quite good. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Uh, we did talk about it because obviously everyone was like, God, I want to keep hearing that for mm. ages. And we were like, I think it's probably best to fight the urge to give us exactly what we want, but maybe it was a bad idea. I don't know. I, but, I remember yeah, to leave you wanting more and, yeah. and I think to get a, to the end of the song to hear it again. It's kind definitely of a good idea for the album, but a 12-inch release. Yeah, we should do that. Where you could have some fun. Yeah, and and live, we should do it. I mean, I, I, when we did that bit, I remember raising the question of whether we should rewrite the song for that. You know, it was one of those questions. was like, do we write a whole new song out of it or do we rewrite the chorus so that becomes the chorus? I think we made the right call because yeah. it's like... I mean, for one thing, we would have maybe, you know, you can end up ruining a song if you reapproach it in that way. But I think it is just the sort of perfect, perfect idea. I remember we were thinking about, um, or the thing that we talked about was like sort of 93 Till Infinity by Souls of Mischief. I don't know where the actual sample from that is from, but that had that, had that West Coast vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could always continue exploring the idea on, on another record. You know? Yeah. Why not? You know, have that. Interlaced, interlaced, interlocked continuity about it. Like yeah. a false hip hop record would be cool. Yeah, it would be cool. Yeah, where it's like everything. Not that we're not going to start rapping, but like everything, I've, I've everything is in, everything is influenced. Like the beats, but with false guitar. I thought I literally thought of it coming up here. I was like, that would be a kind of a cool way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, if you gave those thirty-six seconds of summer sky to somebody and say, look, put some. Some rhymes on that, well, please. We're waiting for the emails. Yeah. I don't know. Like, crikey, it's there. <laughs> if anyone wants it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I mean, let's hear a reprise of the main body of the song of 2001 to round up. Okay.
so that is 2001 by Foles from Life Is Yours. And unfortunately today we're short of time because you're busy people. You've got other people to talk to. So we were going to do in a third song, but maybe you know, we could do a, another episode another time. I yeah, think yeah let's come idea. back and do more. Yeah. Well, we can do once we put out the 12-inch of that, then we can talk about that a bit more. Yeah, that would be and brilliant. how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, and then I can show you how I take two copies and I extend it for three days. You know? <laughs> and I get very tired. <laughs> but of course, um, now that you're here, we do have questions that we ask everybody who comes on Take Notes. Um, cool. So, Yanis, because you've been on before, you'd have answered this before, but I'm sure you'll be able to come up with a different answer. And the first of those is about tech. Is there a favourite piece of equipment that you can't live without? Or that, if you want to be specific, relates specifically to Life Is Yours, that you couldn't have done the record without? Yeah, I think uh, probably my Jupiter 4 synthesizer, I would say. That arrived right at the beginning of the writing of this record. It heavily influenced everything, yeah. I mean, do how many synthesizers do you now have? Uh, do you think? I don't know, ten. Right. I think I think there's a lot more than that. Right. Right. Yeah. They're not plugins. You you don't. No. Uh, no. When you count the mofos and the and the yeah, but that's not. That's just touring stuff. They don't count. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I don't really. I can use all. It depends where I am. If I'm just around, just with my laptop, then you have to use all the plugins and stuff. Mm. But I'd, I'm definitely much rather move something physical. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I don't really know what I'm doing, so it's easier to just twiddle something physically till it sounds good rather than mess around with numbers. And I can't stand yeah. the computer. Yeah, <laughs> it's a quite, it's quite boring. It's, it's a different kind, kind of thing, isn't it? It's yeah. I mean, it's for, I mean, obviously, but yeah. Is there any particular piece of equipment that just give me a guitar? Yeah, yeah, and any old guitar, right? Well, yeah, specifically a sort of vintage 70s, hard to find. I mean, that's what I'd love, but I'd play any, I'd just want, if you just give me a guitar, then I'll just play it. And that's yeah. how I feel about it. But yeah, I mean, I love Travis Beans. Obviously, those are the ones that I play. But on the record, I play a, a variety of some different guitars and stuff. But um, just in terms of a bit of gear, though, I just think that I just want a guitar. Mm. I don't mind what guitar is. Yeah. I'd love, be happy with the guitar. I love the simplicity of that. So the other question we always ask is about advice, whether you've received advice along the way that you would want to pass on to other people or whether through your experience and journey you've developed some ideas about advice that you'd pass on to other people. Well, as far as recording's concerned, I feel like save the overanalyzing until later on in the recording process, I feel like, uh, you know, we learned a lot from Dan and Dan's approach of just like, let's go. You know, you've got, to, you've got to make sure your foundations are right. I think before you start recording, you've like we tried on this record, you know, play everything super dry, super clean. Have uh, the song written. Have the song basically written so you know what the song is. Because otherwise, I think if you, <laughs> you head into the studio and you don't really know what you're doing, you, you can come up with some wonderful things, but most of the time you, you probably won't. So yeah. I feel like, yeah, don't second guess yourself and definitely kind of go with like the first thing that comes out because it will be the truest. And um, I think as soon as you start fiddling and overthinking stuff, you might uh, sort of neuter the idea a little bit. So as much as you can, try and be a little freer, which is mm. easy to say, but it certainly works as far as Dan's concerned. Yeah. yeah. And Yanis, do you have anything? Um, I mean, there was I, agree, I agreed with all of that. Um, yeah, I think that probably... I think not judging things too early is like, I, I like to try to encourage that perspective of like, let's allow an idea to at least get to its own fruition before you then pass judgment on it. I think that it's quite easy to, um, in an early, early stage to 
try to analyze or judge or pigeonhole something. And often songs and ideas can mutate and they can morph and they can metamorphose into something exciting and unexpected and surpass early ideas of things. So I think, but then at a certain point you do need to make a call. I think that making, having the wisdom to know when to make the call on the idea is something that is important to think about so that you're not killing off ideas before they've had a chance to flourish. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us and, and sharing these stems and these demos. And, uh, Thanks. You know, Sorry we couldn't stay longer. That's okay. Let's We'd do stay it. with you all day if we could. <laughs> well, let's do it again. We'll yeah. do it again. Let's do it again, yeah. Excellent. Um, we should play out one song, uh, have an outro song of some description from Life Is Yours. Should it be the title track? Should it be another one? Let's have a bit of flutter. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, excellent. Yanis, Jimmy, thanks again. Thanks, John. Thank you. And this is Flutter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.